copy of God's Word and turn with me to the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Uh, beginning this week, I had intended to use Colossians 3 to sort of encourage us in the new year as to whatever we do, doing heartily unto the Lord. Uh, but I just could not get settled in my soul. I felt like I had a lot of information, but not a sermon. And um, just in God's providence, I stumbled across this passage, and it really seemed to open to me um, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I guess. And it's Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28. And now give your attention, dear church, this is God's holy word. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summertime. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Amen. In the children's story, The Lion and the Gnat, the lion angrily growls as a menacing gnat continues to buzz around his head. The lion says to the gnat, away with you, vile, pestering insect. But the gnat was not the least bit disturbed. Rather, the gnat spitefully said to the lion, Do you think that I'm afraid of you because they call you the king? And in that instant, he flew down and, and he bit the lion right on his nose. And angry with rage, the lion fiercely clawed and tore at his face trying to get the lion, but only ended up harming himself and scratching his own nose. And over and over, this gnat harassed the lion, stinging and biting and stinging and biting. Every time the lion would try to fight, he only tore his face and his ears and his nose and his mouth even more until finally he was bleeding everywhere and he realized he wasn't quick enough to squash the little gnat and he gave up the fight. And the gnat flew off proudly in arrogance, ready to go tell everybody that he, the little gnat, had just defeated the king of the beast. But as he flew away, he flew right into the web of a spider where that little gnat who had defeated the king of beasts came to a miserable end as the prey of a little spider. And the moral of that story is to teach every one of us a caution about arrogance. Watch out for pride. It can blind you to your own destruction and harm. But what can ants and rock badgers and locusts and lizards say to you and me? This section of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, is known as the Oracle of Agor. That's the heading at the top of this chapter. Who this Agor was, we're not entirely sure. This is the only place in the Bible where the name Agor is recorded. But this oracle that we know of as the 30th chapter of Proverbs um, comprises a series of teaching that Agor was going to give who is identified in verse number 1 as the son of Jacob. And this term, oracle, in other places, in the, it's the only way 
uh, only place that this term is applied in the book of Proverbs to a set of Proverbs, but in other places in the Old Testament, it means a, a word from God, a burden, as it were, from God. And so Agor is communicating his burden oracle of wisdom to those who... That's what you notice this section really is a lesson about wisdom. You see it in verse number 24. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. And that is the, I think, interpretive key to understanding these four analogies from the animal world. That strength is not greater than wisdom in God's economy. That brute force and power doesn't always mean you're going to finish first. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the theme of wisdom isn't. It is developed at great length. And the point of the book of Proverbs really is that wisdom isn't just the ability to absorb facts or to memorize truths. Wisdom is the ability to employ truth in one's life. It's knowing how to use truth that one knows such that wisdom has a moral dimension to it. Wisdom has a moral component to itself. And the teaching of verses 24 through 28 show us that just because you might not be strong or big or great by the way the world judges and decides things, it doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy a kind of advancement in life, a kind of honor that comes to those who are morally wise and live according to the truth of God. And there's four parallels, four analogies, nature's lessons for a new year. The first in verse number 25 is a lesson from nature on sustenance and preparation. Perhaps the first lesson I think is the most fascinating because ants, if you haven't ever noticed them and stopped to take note of them, ants really are amazing creatures. Did you know that there are over 11,000 types of ants in the world? Did you know that if you were to ball up all of the ants on planet Earth, they would weigh more than if you balled up all human beings on planet Earth? Ants are some of the most numerous insects in the world. And they're fascinating. They can lift, an ant can lift, over 100 times their body weight. That would be like me being able to bitch press a bulldozer or lift literally a dump truck over my head. 100 times their body weight. These things are small, but boy, are they strong. They're also industrious. They never stop moving. They go and they go and they go, walking the equivalent on average every day of 68 miles by human calculations. What if you could lift a dump truck over your head and carry it 68 miles? Because that's what an ant can do, scaled down to its size. So no wonder they serve as sort of a wondrous illustration of a wise wisdom principle and it is, you see in verse number 25, that ants are not strong in terms of comparison to size and strength of a human being, but they are exceedingly wise. They're hardworking, that is. They're wise in the sense 
that they make preparation for darker days that could come ahead of time. The ants are the anti-procrastinators. Agor is showing us, I think, how we ought to imitate ants in the ant kingdom in this. Not putting off until later what needs to get done today. Why are ants wise? Why are they admirable? Because when the opportunity is there in warm weather for them to gather food, they go about getting it done. They don't wait till it gets cold. They don't wait till it's too late. So that when the cold weather comes, when the harsh time comes, when the lean days come, they've made all the preparations ahead of time so that they have the food put up that they've gathered in the summertime. That is, they're diligent. They're industrious. They work hard. Agur isn't the only one in Proverbs, in fact, to use this analogy. Listen to Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. I mean, the preacher is cutting no corners here. He literally says, hey, lazy boy, go look at the ant. Go look at the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The point is, just a little lack in diligence, just a little procrastination, just a little failure to prepare beforehand could very well spell disaster in the future. He's saying when you have the opportunity, you need to make the most of it. Let's look at the ants. A lesson on sustenance and preparation. And so therefore, church, at the top of 2023, let me challenge you right here and right now to go ahead and do that thing that you know you should have done already, but you've been putting it off. I don't know what it is, but it could be something. And you've been putting it off and putting it off and you know you need to take care of it. It could be that you've been meaning to visit somebody who might not have time uh, left. It could be that you've been at odds or estranged from somebody because of a past disagreement or a falling out that you have and therefore you haven't spoken to them in years nor they to you and you've been putting it off maybe even decades and you've thought to yourself down in your soul you know I really ought to go to that person and ask them to forgive me or try to reconcile and mend fences and bury the hatchet I need to do that yes you do so let me ask you what are you waiting for? When will there be a better opportunity? Jesus used this same sort of thing, taking advantage of the opportunity while there's still time to describe his ministry. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day, for the night is coming when no man can work. Jesus was articulating he's only going to be on this earth for so long, and while he's here, he's got to do the work of God and finish the work of redemption. And that's the most important thing you need to not procrastinate about. 
Is turning your faith and hope in Jesus if you've been waiting and putting it off and, and procrastinating, you're not going to have the opportunity to be saved forever. Behold, says Paul, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. What are you waiting on? Wait no longer. Look at the ant. A lesson from nature on sustenance and procrastination. Secondly, as we move to verse number 26, we learn a second lesson. A lesson from nature on security and protection. We move from the ant to the rock badger or a hyrax, some kind of little rodent. And of this little rodent, Agor says in verse 26 that they are a people, not mighty. They're being personified. They're not a mighty people. They're not a big army. They're not imposing or strong. They're just a little furry rat-like rodent, not mighty, and yet they make their homes in the cliffs. So you look at this little rodent, a rock badger, and you say, okay, Agor, what's so impressive? What can we learn? What does this animal teach us? One thing, the thing I think that he draws out is that here's an animal who's smart enough to know its own weaknesses. Here is an animal that's smart enough to know its own weaknesses. It knows it's not a predator. It knows it's not a lion or a wolf or a jackal or other predator uh, animals that would live in that part of the world. And it knows, therefore, that it's easy pickings for them. It's easy prey. And if it doesn't do something to ensure that it has a place to run for security and protection, it can't defend itself. And it's going to be a nice little chewy meal for something much bigger and much stronger and much more powerful. So what does it do? Agor says in verse number 26, it makes its homes in the cliffs. That means it makes itself a habitation in the rocks of the mountainsides where it's safe to hide, where bigger, stronger animals aren't as agile and can't climb and can't get to them. And all we not imitate just the same attitude. Do you have a keen awareness of your own weaknesses? Of those areas in your life where you are easy pickings for the enemy of your soul and for temptation? Do you not recognize that the one who thinks that they stand needs to take heed lest they fall. You may, I don't know this, but you may have said, I have in the past, something so foolish as, I would never commit blank sin. Maybe other people, but I could never do that. You are very much in need to learn the lesson of the rock badger. Who knows that there are predators about. Peter needed to learn the lesson from the rock badger. Though everyone abandon you, Lord, I never will. I'll go all the way to the death for you. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning. 
Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Watch out for the predators. Don't be so foolish to think that you and your own flesh are ready to do battle with the roaring lion walking about seeking someone to devour. You better have a place you can run to. You better have somewhere you can go to hide. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let that water and that blood from your riven side which flowed be for me and my sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and cleanse me from its power. You are my hiding place, O Lord. When my heart is overwhelmed, Psalm 61 prays, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you, O Lord, have been my refuge, a strong tower against my enemies. And one thing in terms of our households, I pray that we as Christian parents have as a goal is to help our kids understand that in God's providence, home is the rock cliff face that God has provided where our children can come to hide from a dangerous world full of predators. Children and teenagers, listen to your pastor today. I want you to know that if there is someone or something in your life that is a threat, if a friend is trying to influence you to do something you know is dangerous or unsafe or unwise, you don't need to talk to your friends about it. You don't need to consult your peers about it. You need to run to the safety of your parents who have your best interest in mind about it. Learn from the rock badger who knows where to go when it's dangerous. Who knows where to flee and knows where to hide. The rock badger says, Agor is not mighty. And left to ourselves, neither are we. If that furry little creature saw a lying lion prowling about or a pack of wolves running toward it. You know what it would do? It wouldn't say, I'm going to take these predators on like Mighty Mouse. It's not going to stay and try to fight on its own. It's going to run away. It's going to scurry up that mountain. It's going to go into the side of those rocks and hide in its den until the danger passes by. And so we ought to. Listen now, we ought to. When you see the encroachment of sin, when you see an opportunity to wander into darkness, don't you play with it. Flee. Flee from immorality. Run from all occasion and temptation to sin. Run to God and call out to Him for help and deliverance. That's what the rock badger teaches us. A lesson on security and protection. Third, we learn from verse number 27, a lesson from nature on solidarity and participation. And we find that lesson in an unexpected creature, one that was an abomination in the Middle East, in fact. The locust, the locust have no king, yet all of them march in rank. If there was, of course, one thing that the ancient Israelite dreaded to see, it was a locust. The greatest bane to their existence was to look off and in the distance see the plague of billions of swarming locusts moving through the air like a dark storm cloud advancing on their crops because locusts would devour everything in sight. They would sweep a field clean. They would devour hundreds and hundreds of farmland and acreage in just a short amount of time. And though many millions 
perhaps tens or hundreds of millions when they come in a swarm and invade the land, they work together as one. They work together as one. And that's what the wise Agor sees in terms of the locust and what we ought to imitate. The locust have no king. But notice verse number 27. All of them march in rank. What this means is that in the animal world, Agor recognized that locusts are what we might call self-starters in the insect world. Self-starters. And my goodness, how the world of Christendom needs a bunch of Christians who don't always need a kick in the pants from somebody else to motivate them to serve the Lord. Locusts don't need somebody saying, now you go here and you get in line and you get in rank. It seems like they instinctively, by nature, know how to all work together in rank and file and unison and they just go and go and go and devour and devour and devour and don't stop and there's nothing compelling them in terms of an outward motivation. They just know what to do and they do it. Happy the person Happy the child of God who comes to spiritual maturity such that they don't have to be constantly goaded into faithfulness to the Lord. There are some people who as a pastor are just a blessing to you. They're a blessing to you because you don't have to stay on top of them constantly. You don't have to worry about, now they were here Sunday, but I sure am worried about what they're doing on Tuesday. And there's no telling what they're going to do later on this week. No telling what they're going to say. No telling how they might bring shame and dishonor to Jesus Christ. And if you're not constantly like a helicopter parent hovering over them, then they just will not be faithful to the Lord. They won't walk in the rank and file of the church. They scarcely and scantly participate. They'll miss three, four weeks at a time. And even when you try to chase them down, you feel lucky or blessed to see them come back maybe one or two weeks before they're gone again. Learn about solidarity, unity, and oneness, and participation. Learn it from the locusts. Because the locusts have no king, but don't you? And don't I? Do not we pledge our allegiance to the king of kings who has purchased us with his own precious blood and who alone has the right to command our lives? And who says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? and not do the things that I tell you to do. Let us learn from this locust about solidarity, participation. And then finally, finally verse number 28 ends on a, a more positive note, doesn't it? A lesson from nature on striving and promotion. This is interesting. Verse number 28. Now, if you have a, a more modern translation, you might have the term lizard. If you have an older translation, you might have something like spider. And that's because uh, sometimes the Hebrew language is a very um, 
if I could say it this way, a very non-precise language in some ways. Greek is far more precise than Hebrew is. And, and sometimes, uh, rather than describe a very specific type of animal, it'll describe some of the kind of characteristics that an animal might have. And so uh, such is kind of the case with this Hebrew term. When you, when you look at this Hebrew term, it, it could be that it's a crawly creature in terms of like a spider, or it could be that it's a crawly creature in terms of like a, li- a lizard or a gecko. Some of the more modern translations have gone with gecko or lizard, some of the older with spider, but in any case, the principle still stands. The principle is, here's an animal so small, you can hold it in your hands. The lizard or the spider, you can take in your hands. But, on the other hand, if you were to visit a king and go in his palace, you might notice up in the corner there's a spider web. You got a spider that lives in a palace, or in this case, a lizard that's in between some of the the stone masonry that comes in and out of the cracks. Both of them are there to to eat the bugs, and so kings, I guess, typically in the royal court, they would tolerate them. Here you have a gecko living in a palace. I thought it must be from all that money maybe he saved on his car insurance. Um, I'm glad y'all got that. I wasn't sure if y'all were going to get that or not. But a gecko is a small thing that you can hold in your hands, and yet you find it there in a palace. Agor is giving the analogy of something small upon the first impression, but being in the end seen living in a royal estate or residence. And I think really the point here is that of advancement. Or what we might call promotion. A lizard of all things or a spider might get to the place where he's living large as it were, in the same place where the king and ruler of a nation lives. When wisdom, the Bible teaches, especially in Proverbs, when wisdom and diligence is employed, there's opportunity to advance one's station in life. If you live by the general principles of the truth of the law of God, it is certainly not a guarantee of success. It's not a formula for riches or that you or I are going to live in a mansion one day. But generally speaking, when the wisdom truths of hard work and diligence and morality and perseverance are employed, one ought generally to expect in God's providence the Lord to reward the work of our hands. And he says, look at the lizard. He might have started small, living in the dirt, living in a hole in the ground. But where is he now? He is in a palace of all places. For we ought to strive to be people who advance our station in life. That's what the Eighth Commandment teaches us. That we ought to work to advance our station in life. So let me ask you, Where do you see yourself in five years? Look at where you are now in your life. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now. Some of you in five years will be starting middle school, going into sixth grade or seventh grade. Some of you in five years will be starting high school. Maybe some of you will be graduating from high school and looking at starting college or a career. In five years, some of you maybe who are single see yourself as getting married, or maybe if you're about to get married, or you just got married but you don't have children, maybe in five years you see yourself having children. Maybe 
In five years, you see yourself arriving finally at sweet retirement. Where do you see yourself? From now to a few years from now or a decade from now. Because those are important things to consider during our lifetime. To live intentionally, to live on purpose, to have definitive, and we pray God-honoring and God-glorifying goals for ourselves and ambitions in our life that we may serve the Lord to the fullest capacity as Paul teaches us in Colossians 3. Whatever we do, do it heartily, literally in the Greek there. Do it with all your soul. Do it from your soul because you're serving the Lord. No matter who in an earthly sense we might seem to be serving or working for, ultimately for the Christian, every thing we do is done for the Lord so we do it heartily from the soul from the heart with excellence for the glory of God and leave the results up to God where do you see yourself in five years but you know what's far more important not where you will be in five years but where you will be in 500 years where do you see yourself in 500 years when all the works of our lives are burned up and turned to ash and dust and we are all long forgotten, where will we be in 500 years? Because by God's grace, we fallen creatures low in the dust like a bunch of lizards and spiders can go and live with God in His heavenly palace in a mansion forever and ever. And that's really the way you and I ought to approach living life. Living life in view of heaven, no matter how dirty and dingy and low it might seem our station gets in this life, no matter what the end promise of the gospel is one day, friends, we're going to be with God in heavenly palaces. You know, the earlier explorers of South Africa sailed with Bartholomew Diaz, and he went around the southern tip, the, the Cape of Africa, and of course that's some turbulent waters, very stormy seas. And so he named that place the, the Cape of Storms from the experience that he had. But later another explorer came along, Vasco da Gama, and he didn't focus on the turbulence of the seas and the ocean being in an upheaval weather, as he went through those choppy, rough waters, he focused on the promise of the riches and gold and jewels and spices that he would discover in India. So he changed the name of that cape from the Cape of Storms to the Cape of Good Hope. In this year, you and I can choose to put the emphasis of our focus on the troubled waters of our lives or the hope that shall be revealed hereafter. A lizard in a palace in comparison pales with a sinner in glory. So we have good hope, even in this life. Amen? Lessons from nature for a new year. May God write the truths of his word on our hearts. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of Agur inspired by the Holy Spirit to show us in some very simple and yet profound ways that you have written in the book of nature uh, imitable wisdom principles that we can apply to our own lives. So practical and we're very thankful. Forgive us of our sins for Jesus' sake. Help us, Lord, unto diligence to know ourselves, to know our weakness.
to make proper preparations and to live with the hope of being with you in the mansion that our Jesus is preparing for us. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. We who come from fallenness, we creatures of the dust, will one day be raised to glory, promoted to everlasting life because of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen.